Good afternoon. This is Artash, the host and creator of the Worthy for 30 podcast. Really excited to bring on, uh, bring on and introduce my next guest, uh, Andrew Glazier, who is the CEO and president of Five Ventures. Uh, small world, or perhaps, you know, just through conversations with other remarkable individuals. When I was talking to Kas Marte, the founder and CEO of Combody, he mentioned the five ventures as a reason that he ha- he developed that second chance and when he came out of the prison system. And he was very, I would say, uh, very grateful for the, the services and the mentorship that he received through the five ventures. And I asked Koss to make an introduction to Andrew so I can learn more and not only for myself, but also for the listeners to learn more the, about the five ventures, its mission and how it's helping both the currently incarcerated across the United States, as well as the formerly incarcerated to develop that second chance once they're on the other side and, and free and no longer incarcerated. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Excellent. Excellent. So Andrew, usually what I like to do is I like to understand uh, the guests' progression to where they are today. So I'd love to understand how you became the president and CEO of the Five Ventures. Uh, sure. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a twisted path, but um, I, you know, my my path is uh, covered the government, nonprofit, for profit um, over the past uh, over my career. Uh, I started off working in government, uh, mostly in education, in public education, and then uh, I went to business school, got an MBA. I had uh, dreams of uh, making my millions in real estate, um, and uh, I graduated business school from UCLA in 2006, which, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, was a terrible time to uh, enter the field of real estate. <laughs> um, but I did nonetheless, and uh, I ended up, um, you know, it was supposed to be a finance, real estate finance, but I ended up running a construction site for two years. Uh, and when I was running the construction site, um, I met people for the first time that I knew of who were formerly incarcerated. And that was really when I became aware of this idea of reentry and how difficult it was. And this was 2007. Um, remember, up until 2000, 2001, we were talking about super predators and three strikes and throwing away the key. So that was pretty early on. There was very little in the way of support for people coming home. Um, my real estate and I had a, a mutual parting of ways uh, around uh, 2008. Um, and then I entered the nonprofit sector uh, where I, I joined a, a, an organization that focused on uh, dropout prevention in highly impacted urban public schools. Um, and I spent about eight years doing that. And really, you know, I learned a lot there. Um, and one of the things I learned about was the, the school to prison pipeline. And that really is this, um, you know, pathway that kids who grow up in generational poverty and violence and incarceration in their families, um, you know, for for many kids in those circumstances, that can be the path of least resistance. Um, And, uh, you know, our our society in many ways, um, you know, even when they want to get off that pathway, we push them back on it, (laughs) Uh, particularly in those uh, in those highly impacted public schools. Uh, now, when, when I was doing my work there, I supervised a lot of people who are out there working to get people off that pipeline um, and, and to graduate high school. Um, but there were kids who, you know, we didn't get to, we couldn't get to. Um, and, you know, they ended up on that pipeline. So when I was ready to leave um, that job, I was looking around for what to do next. And Defy Ventures came along and it was this perfect mix of Kind of an education program focused on entrepreneurship um, and uh, you know intervention um, in uh, you know a, a, a deeply tragic and, and unjust system um, that felt like kind of the mix that brought all of my past life experiences together. Uh, I originally started as the executive director for Southern California, which was a new chapter of Defy at that point in 2017, um, and then about nine months later. Uh, we had a uh, unplanned departure of the CEO and founder, and I was uh, unceremoniously promoted, promoted to become the CEO and president of the Five Ventures um, through a, a battlefield promotion. Um, and uh, I've been in that role ever since 2018. Um, and uh, here we are today. We are uh, entering 2023 with plans to be in eight states, uh, a little over four million 
uh, in budget, um, long-term, not even medium-term plans. My hope is to get to 40 states uh, and grow tenfold, um, serve as many people as possible. We'll be in, if all goes well, we'll be in 29 prisons next year uh, serving people, um, serving well over 1,000 people in prison and uh, hundreds of folks in our post-release programming and entrepreneurship programming in the community. Well, that's a that's a great overview. So the five ventures, you know, you're you're, you're active in in eight states. So are you working with you're working with the state governments or the state prison systems? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, a little overlap with state government, but mostly, you know, uh, you know, once you have approval to enter prisons, then really our interactions are with the prisons at that kind of prison level. Um, uh, certainly. I have dreams of doing more uh, kind of at state level um, and kind of on the advocacy side. Um, but most, for the most part, our work at this point is uh, getting the access to serve and, uh, you know, doing our programming in prisons and then serving people when they come home. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the, the programming you do in prison, can you give a, an understanding of what sort of programming you're providing those those currently incarcerated so when they do come out they do know what next steps they need to to do to again keep them on that journey for that second chance to to sustain itself yeah yeah so our service um for the most part you know it runs both it's inside and outside it starts inside for most people so um we uh run uh you know uh, classes inside prison where we'll enroll typically between 40 and 55 we call entrepreneurs in training. And those are people who are incarcerated, who are in our program. And it's, I think it's important to note that we do not work with criminals. We don't work with felons. We don't work with thieves or murderers. We work with people, uh, people who are incarcerated and people who are in our program and who are entrepreneurs in training. So we refer to them as EITs, short for entrepreneurs in training. Um, so the EITs will usually have between 40 and 55 people in a class. Um, and that'll be roughly a seven to nine month class uh, taught by a live instructor. We have a 1200 page curriculum that we have written over the last uh, 12 years. Um, And it covers equal parts, personal development, career readiness, and entrepreneurship. Uh, People often say like, why entrepreneurship? Being an entrepreneur is really hard. Starting a business is hard. People aren't going to start businesses when they get out, you know? Um, Those are all true, right? People do start a business when they come out, but you know, it is a minority of folks. So, you know, costs are going to be on this show. Um, You know, there are lots of people who started businesses Few as successful as costs, um, but in truth, uh, probably five to ten percent of the folks who go through our program are going to come home and launch a business. So, why entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship is a transformational context. Uh, you know, when you um, are thinking about entrepreneurship and starting a business, right? The first question you have to ask yourself is, what are my unique gifts and talents? What can I offer the world, and how can I be successful in that endeavor? Right? When you enter prison, what you're told is that you're subhuman. You'll never amount to anything and you have nothing to offer the world, <laughs> right? right? As you're worthless. And so, um, so uh, that mindset, if you come out of prison with the mindset of I'm worthless, I have nothing to offer the world um, and I'll never amount to anything, that's what will happen, right? Um, because I think what I know, what I've learned and, and even science tells us this, right? The narrative that we tell ourselves has a huge impact on how we view the world and how other people view us. And so um, that mindset change that we do in our program through the lens of entrepreneurship is what makes a difference between success and coming home or not. Um, and so we go through this program and we certainly do deep dives into, um, you know, uh, where do we come from? Um, who do we want to be? Uh, how do we make amends? How do we take responsibility but also not live, not let sort of shame and past control our future. Um, we talk about, um, we learn, we teach how to uh, write a resume, how to talk about your past, um, how to talk about it in a way that is asset-based in your future. And we, of course, get into the fundamentals of entrepreneurship, creating a business concept and, um, and a business pitch. We bring uh, volunteers inside with us. We'd love to have you join us sometime if you're free. Um, and so we have folks come in for the day. I was just in prison um, running a business coaching day two days ago with a wonderful group of entrepreneurs, business leaders, um, uh, and you know, general you know, business people. Um, and on those coaching days, we do uh, resume reviews, personal statement, business ideation coaching, um, and we also do some important empathy building work. 
Um, at the end of the program, we bring volunteers back inside and we run a Shark Tank style pitch competition um, where the volunteers actually judge the pitches um, and the EITs have to do their three minute pitch in front of a bunch of strangers, which they will tell you is the hardest thing for many of them that they've ever done. The scariest thing they've ever done. Uh, and um, these are not like, this is not minimum security prison. We work in mostly moderate and maximum security prisons. Um, so these are men and women who have been incarcerated for five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, and they are learning this skill set and interacting, getting up in front of people. Uh, once they complete that program, they are alumni of our program. Uh, if they, assuming they pass the final, uh, they get a certificate of entrepreneurship from the Drucker School of Management at Claremont Graduate University. Um, and then uh, when they come home, which most of them will come home, and most of them will come home within five years, uh, we then have our post-release program. The first thing we want to do when they come home is help them get settled. So we're looking to, we give them a Chromebook. We're teaching them how to use it. Um, we are working on their resumes and personal statements with them. We're helping connect them to housing um, and to other services that we may not provide. Um, uh, and then we're connecting them to employer partners uh, who, are, who are hugely important to the success of our program because um, our first goal is to help them get employed. Uh, the thing that will send someone back to prison the fastest is the inability to make legal money. So if you can't get a job um, and you know, you're know you not able to support yourself and your family, then that will drive you back to illegal activity faster than anything. Um, so that's why that job piece and that you know, re-entry piece is so important to us. Once they are settled, they have an opportunity to enter our entrepreneurship pathway if they choose. As I said, not everybody comes home and is like, I wanna get my business going. Many people do, right? Um, but uh, you know, the, our first thing is to say, let's get you settled. You cannot be homeless and pursuing a business. You have to have a source of income. And then we can help you with our entrepreneurship program to actually develop your business out. And what you did in prison may not work when you get out here. You're gonna, you know, in prison, you can't do a lot of research. You can't do a lot of MVP testing, you know, minimal viable product. And so that's the stuff we start to put them through the paces on. Um, we have an entrepreneurship bootcamp that they can then enroll in if they'd like, or they can move in, if they're kind of ahead of the game, they can move into a pre-accelerator where they need to make a sale. Once they make a sale, we can offer them um, a free incorporation through a part our partner at LegalZoom. Um, and, uh, and then they can enter an accelerator program if they choose, um, which includes a $500 planning grant. And then a five month, like, we're gonna build a financial model. We're gonna teach you how to use, um, you know, Google Sheets or Excel. You're gonna learn some basics of marketing. You're going to write a business plan, very short, doesn't need to be really long, but you need to write down what you're going to do. Um, and then we have a little demo day at the end where they can pitch their businesses to try to make some sales. Um, then they have an opportunity to show us if they can get traction and they have something scalable. We then have a small amount of money available through what we call our venture fund, but really it's just a philanthropic grant fund um, to get up to $10,000 to grow their business. Um, so that's kind of the pathway. That I should also say that entrepreneurship boot camp and pathway is open, frankly, to anybody in the community who's formerly incarcerated, as long as they are stable. Um, so they need to be home for at least six months, have a job, have a place to live, and if they want to explore entrepreneurship with us, that program is open to them as long as they live in one of the one of the states where we operate. So that's kind of the program from soup to nuts, um, and you know the results are really good. Uh, you know um, the on average. After one year, a third of people coming who have come home will go back to prison nationally on average. After three years, more than half of people return to prison. And our results are less than 10% after one year, less than 15% after three years are returned to prison. Um, and so we think that's a pretty good return on the investment uh, of the work that we're doing. Um, as far as businesses go, we've started more than 150, helped start more than 150 businesses. Um, for the EITs who've gone through our program. Um, and, uh, you know, like any small business, you know, there's a, there's a failure rate there, but many of them are still operating and they run the gamut from um, food, fitness, um, uh, dog training. Um, we've got some guys who are like in like, uh, trade, international trading um, and uh, uh, custodial services. So it's a pretty diverse group of, of businesses that get started and that are successful. That's that's excellent. You know, to to understand, you know, from while they're in prison um, and when they come home, you know, what are the services that are at their disposal through Defy Ventures? 
what's what's interesting though, Andrew, as you're speaking, is I would love to understand. I think the listeners would love to understand where do the you know I mentioned this. I asked a question about the state governments. Where do the governments? Where, where's there? Where's the bureaucracy in terms of helping these people get back on their feet, get that help generate that second chance? Because they've gone through again, they've gone through the prison system at the, at the state level for the most part. Where, yes, where is that state intervention? And if it doesn't exist, is again, it's the five entries filling that void uh, that's so necessary. Because so what you're saying is, if a person who's coming home who's formerly incarcerated and they don't have a way to make legal money, the fastest way for them to go back again that recidivism, which we hear so much about. They're going to go back. There's going to be that, again that loop back. So again, love to understand where is the government, what is the government doing, and where's the government falling short? Great. So great question, and I will answer it in one second. The one thing I want to talk about, one thing I want to say before that is, <coughs> well, let me just say the government's not going to solve this problem for us. Um, in fact, for the most part, they make it worse. Um, <clears throat> and I'll come back to that in a second. What I want your listeners to know is business is key because we could run the very best reentry preparation entrepreneurship program ever. And I think we run a great program. So I think we're up there, right? But if people come home and we, and they are ready for opportunity, and that's really what we're trying to do is say, let's make you ready for opportunity when you come home. If that opportunity does not exist on the other side, which is to say, if people in the business community will not hire, will not invest, and mostly it's hiring, right? Then they are complicit in a system that sends people back. And so one of the reasons why we bring these volunteers in from the business community is because we want them to see these are humans. Prison is not filled with bad people. There are some people in prison who have some work left to do on themselves. Let's be clear, right? Um, Prison is filled with people who have done bad things. They have made bad choices. They have made mistakes. And they are there for a reason for the most part, right? But the conception of everybody in there is bad and is incorrigible and irredeemable is harming us as a society, as a country, economically, spiritually, on a human level, in every possible way. So we have to change that viewpoint that when people come home, that they can never be re-entered society. Because then what we're saying is we believe in eternal punishment. And even if you've served your sentence, it doesn't matter. You've never served your sentence as far as we're concerned. So you might as well just stay in prison forever, no matter what you did. Right. And that is besides being incredibly expensive, right. Is, um, uh, you know, deeply, uh, anti-human, right. And now to government, right. We get the government's, probably we get the government we deserve, right? That feeling in society that hey, these are bad people and we shouldn't do anything for them. Well, our representatives, all they do is give that back to us in the form of policy. And so the, the mission of prison is supposed to be um, four things. Uh, deterrence, right? We want people like, don't do this. If you do this, you're going to go to prison, right? Prison sucks, <laughs> right? Um, it is uh, removal from society, right? We're going to give you time out. It is retribution, right? Okay, we're, we're, we're going to get a little bit of, you know, this is some societal retribution for the, your wrongs. And rehabilitation. Now, we, we put way too much stock on the removal, deterrence, retribution side. And, and very little focus on the mission of rehabilitation. And of course, that is why we see a return to prison rate of 50 plus percent, depending on how you count it. It's some places, some as high as 70 percent in some states, right? Because it is so focused on those things. Um, so when we try to get to prison to program, we need three things. We need access. They got to say you can come in. We need funding. Um, which the government gives us very, very little of. Mostly I have to raise it from private sources. Um, 95% I have to raise from private sources, right? Um, and we need space. Uh, getting access, challenging. 
not surprisingly, prisons are like not that excited to have people come inside, which on the one hand I get, right? There's security issues, but on the other hand, um, it goes to a place where you're like, what well, you, it's impossible, right? You can't make it impossible. Um, the funding side, you know, I think few politicians get elected being soft on crime. Um, you know, when you, when, you know, there becomes this false choice of like, well, we can have good highways and good schools, or we can have, you know, programming for people in prison. That's not a real choice. Right. Um, and, uh, and by the way, the economic cost of not, if that's your thing, right, the economic cost of not programming is so much greater than when you program. Right. Um, and then we need space. And, and the problematically, prisons are built to house people, warehouse people. Right. Um, keep them secure. And so, there, you know, we have to look, where can we program? I program in the dining hall in some prisons. We program in the chapel. Sometimes we get to use the gym. Sometimes we get to use visiting. Sometimes we're in a deep, dark basement, right? But, and sometimes they're like, sorry, we have nowhere for you to program. Thanks, but no thanks, right? Uh, and so these are ways in which government hinders and state policy hinders what we want to do. And then when folks come home, they enter... Many, many cases, they enter supervision. You might get lucky and get an enlightened parole officer or probation officer who's like, hey, I really want you to be successful. Let us help you do what you need to do. Here's some resources. Here's some programming, right? Maybe you get access to that. Or you may get a parole officer who's like, listen, we both know you're going back to prison. So I'm going to be watching you like a hawk and I'm going to be dropping in on you and you know, surprise at any given moment, I'm going to call you in for a piss test when you least expect it. Right. And um, and so all I can say is try to go get a job and tell your employer, by the way, uh, my parole officer could show up at any moment. I might be late sometimes because uh, I have to go to the office to go pee in a jar. And by the way, if I don't, then I'll get violated and I'll go back to prison. So that's my choice. I hope you understand. Um, and so when you get parole officers and parole systems who put such a tight leash on people that they make it impossible for you to work, even though you have to work to stay out of prison, right? These catch-22s are created. Um, and then you get these like lifetime parole for people where it's like, look, I don't care how good you are. You're on lifetime parole, lifetime supervision. You know, it, you may have committed your crime 30 years ago. You may have been out of prison 10 years, but you know, so much as a hair is out of place, you're going back to prison. And um, that's a tough thing to live under. So, you know, the, you know, California has made a lot of strides and they, they've let a lot of people off parole in ways they didn't used to. But like the state of New York, I mean, they'll keep, they'll keep people on parole forever. And, you know, and, and, you know, people have come out, they want to be different. They want to make a change. But every time they turn around, somebody's saying, you're not different. You can't be different. We don't believe you can be different. And by the way, even if you're a little bit not different, you're going back to prison. <laughs> oh, God. It, I, I'm laughing because it's, 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 it's ridiculous what you're saying. It's yeah, exactly. exactly. It's, it's like, okay, I want to do well. I want to show you I'm demonstrating that I'm, <clears throat> that I want to appreciate and wrap my, uh, and bear hug my second chance. Yeah. But <clears throat> I have to watch over my shoulder and, and walk on eggshells with anything that I do because there's that, again, hair out of place. I'm going back to prison. So, the, the question is, Andrew, if it's not the government and <clears throat> forget government for a second, it's a systemic societal change and perception that needs to shift. Where does that start? You know, for me, for the listeners, where does that start? How can we help you and the five ventures to help change that perception? Yeah, great question. So this is a movement, right? It's a social movement. Um, any successful social movement in history has been based on people having human interactions, right? Was it, whether it was civil rights and, you know, somebody who was, you know, started out deeply racist sitting across from a, a, a black person and saying like, oh, wow, we're both human beings, right? You know, maybe we shouldn't make you sit in the back of the bus, right? Maybe we should receive you the right to vote, right? Or it is, um, you know, the changes in our country around um, uh, how we, uh, how we view folks in the LGBTQ community, right? And marriage equality. And I mean, Congress just passed, you know, uh, a marriage equality bill, right? However you land on that question, 
That never would have happened 20 years ago. And it's because a lot of people in this country have met people who are gay <laughs> and said, wow, you're a human being also, right? And I guess it's okay with me, right? You know, I don't know why that's a problem. And the same thing goes for people who are, have this history of incarceration. When you sit across from somebody who has been in prison for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, and you see that they have the same hopes and dreams as you and that they're not the same person they were when they were 20, because when we're 40, who among us is, right? What, what, what idiotic things did all of us do between the ages of like 17 and 23, which is when most people go to prison, right? Um, uh, and how are we different now? And why should we think that anybody else is any different, whether they've been in prison or not, that they would have a chance to like grow up, right? And rethink their life and try to do different things. Um, and then that starts to remove the fear and the stigma so that when people come into prison with me, and not everybody's coming to prison with me, we've got other ways for folks to get involved, but if you volunteer with me and you come inside with any of our chapters and you come inside, and you, you have this experience, you walk out and your life is changed because you see, okay, these are people and these are people who are hungry to be different, hungry for a fair chance and people that I'm not afraid of when they come home. And, um, and then that starts to change businesses who say, maybe we do need to employ folks. We need to give them a fair chance. Right. And, and I'm not saying, right. I, I know some of you are going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? She's saying, give, you know, the person with a sex offense who molested a child, you know, and put him in schools. Like, no, no, come on. Right. There are very common sense ways to do this. And if any of your listeners are interested, we run a fair chance hiring workshop um, that can, you know, spend about 90 minutes just saying, like, let's just explore the stigma and explore what's real here. Um, there are obviously like ways in which you have to take precautions, but the precautions can't be, you can never work anywhere for anyone, right? You have to just, you know, uh, be on the roadside for the rest of your life, right? That's not the answer. Um, so that change starts to roll up and roll out in very different ways, in very important ways. And part of that rolling out and rolling up is starts to then impact our representation in government. When Union Pacific, who is an employer partner of ours, goes to their state governments like, listen, state corrections, we're desperate for talent. We want to hire the people coming out. You need to make sure that they're prepared to get jobs with us. So you need to start working with programs like Defy Ventures, right? And letting program happen so folks come out prepared for a job. That means something. That changes something. Because then you are starting to access the political system in a different way. And look, I'm all for like the crowd showing up and like, you know, going into the, 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 the halls of Congress or the state legislature and saying, like, you got to change this, right? That is good. That's not how we work, but I appreciate the folks who do do that, right? That has to happen. But you also have to have business, right, behind you saying, hey, guys, what you're doing is a terrible idea, right? We need to hire people. We are not safe when you are sending people home who are, you know, have not had a chance to rehabilitate. And we can't hire people if they come home and they have, can have a chance to rehabilitate. And by the way, we want folks to come work here so that we can have a more prosperous country and a more just country and a more compassionate country. And for all you business folks listening who are working on DEI, if you're not thinking about criminal, uh, criminal histories in your DEI, you're not doing it. Because if people of color represent well over half of the folks in prison, right, and they're coming home and you're saying, hey, uh, we're not going to give anybody with a felony a shot at a job. You simply will not hit your targets on diversity. It's just the math doesn't work. And so you got to start thinking about this question of criminal history, fair chance hiring, and how does that fit into my strategy for hiring? Because if you're not doing it, one, you're leaving talent on the table. You're not going to fill a position when the, when the unemployment rate is three and a half percent. And you're certainly not going to hit your DEI targets. Right. No, it's, it's, it's totally understandable. Uh, I just want to go back to what you're saying in terms of like the, the grassroots effort that Defy is, is, is helping, which is endorsing. It's, you know, having these, these individual conversations, one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations, you know, sitting across from somebody who's uh, currently incarcerated, formerly incarcerated. Understand, again, we breathe the same air. 
We have the same aspirations and dreams. We have the same, uh, you know, the same ambitions. We want, we, we love, we love the people in our lives. We appreciate the things in our lives. So we're, we're, we're not different, right? We're not different. Um, and, and what's interesting, Andrew, that you're saying is, you know, based on that, that grassroots issue or grassroots advocacy, how does that roll up to what you're saying to those businesses that have a, already have a seat at the table with those policymakers who can help lobby and help make that, that systemic or fundamental change in how we're working with the corrections uh, facilities to rehabilitate you know, people who are, who are currently incarcerated and who are coming home. You know, the one thing that really, and, and I want to say, and I say this with the, the most utmost respect and sincerity, when I spoke to Koss, the one thing that, that hit me is not, you know, he's this cool entrepreneur and he has this cool fitness brand. That's all. That's, that's great. I love it. Trust me. I love it. But one, the one thing that really hit me between the eyes is everything was about being of service to the people that he comes in contact with, whether it's someone coming off the street that he just met or someone that he knows for, for many, many years, he is going to do whatever is in his power to make sure that person is doing well. And I just want to make sure that that is, uh, and I'm just speaking very audibly because I've, I've just, it, it, I just felt it in my bones that yes, I could be a I can be a successful person now that I'm on the outside and I have my second chance. But it's, it, but what's really sweet is being able to what you're saying, Andrew, to have that one-to-one -one impact on the people who are also coming home from from being incarcerated. Yeah, I, look, I mean, we run our program. Uh, one of our, uh, you know, we. When they're developing their business ideas, we have these constraints. Uh, you have to develop a business that can start up for less than twenty thousand dollars. It shouldn't have a storefront to start. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, it should be cash flow positive within three months, right? And it can't be a nonprofit, right? And all these guys, I mean, you, you shock how many guys like why? I, I just want I want to start a nonprofit. Why can't I do that? It's, it's like, look, I get it. Like you want to be of service, and that's great. You can do that as a for-profit business, and the way you can do that is. Hire your brothers and sisters who are coming home from incarceration. Think about how you can give back, how you can give back to um, the community. And that is always a component of people coming home. They want to know how they can give back. It's so many of them are just like, look, I want to do well. I want to be a contributing member of society. How can I give back? And they come back inside with us. I had four guys in my, in prison with me, um, who were formerly incarcerated, who were there because like, I, I'm here to give back. Um, and truly, that's a testament. When you've got somebody who's served 15 years in prison and they're coming back voluntarily, now they get to go home at the end of the day, right? But that's, that's for real to like, you know, to, to make that choice to say, I'm going to walk back inside to help people. And then when they come home, right? Saying like, yeah, I absolutely want to help folks when they come home. And we see that all the time. Cost is a great example. And I'm happy to say he's not the only one, right? In fact, he's not the exception. He's the rule. That's, that, that's amazing. And, and it, it sounds like, again, it's, it's that byproduct of the, the intervention they're having in, in, the, in the prison system with the, the currently incarcerated. Again, giving them the tools and the resources for them to be a productive member of society coming out. So they have this lifeline. So they're not, again, going back and returning. Again, we're eliminating or reducing recidivism. So... Again, is is it is it something within the material or within those conversations that your mentors and volunteers are having with those uh, with the people who are on the inside, or is it just again a, a, just a natural byproduct of the, the conversations and the training uh, that you're having you and and the five ventures are having with these people? Uh, that what, sorry, what's the the result you're focusing on there? This sort of service orientation or the the reentry piece success? The, 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 yeah, the service the the the, the being of service. Is oh. that something that, that that's just a byproduct that spontaneously comes out as yeah. you're going through the motions? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, I mean, certainly we talk about it, but you, you can't teach that, right? You know, it's, that's not something you can be like, let me teach you how to be of service, right? Um, right. I think it comes from the mindset change. Um, and so it's part of the mindset change they're going through from a place of, um, I'm in prison, I'm angry. I want to hurt people, right? To, I have a history that I'm not proud of, um, but I understand myself and what that was. And I understand who I want to be. And the person that I want to be is not a person who's hurting people. It's a person who's helping people. Uh, and so that is part of that transformation that goes on with people. And 
when we bring volunteers in, um, certainly we are providing, you know, the volunteers are providing a service, um, a skill-based service of, I can help someone with a resume. I can help you prepare for an interview. I can help you think about your business. But what they're doing most importantly at the same time is they're saying, you were worth me coming here today. Right? And what I hear from the entrepreneurs in training, the EITs, is today I learned that people are good. There are good people out there. And um, it feels like, a, you know, we sit out here and that's sort of something we take for granted, right? We can be cynical, like, ah, people suck, right? But like, we know, I mean, I hope you know. I mean, I know like in my heart, like there are good people out there, right? Um, and for the most part, most people are decent, right? And when you're in prison, that is not something that you know. What you know in prison is every man for himself, watch my back. I trust no one. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to get stabbed, <laughs> right? Um, you know, uh, I mean, it does, and that's not to say that we you know when folks are in prison, they, they, they absolutely form these incredible bonds with their brothers or their sisters in prison. Those are lifelong bonds that they form. But, um, and those are important, right? But prison builds fear into you and trauma and reinforces that in you, which creates these mindsets of, of sort of just sort of destructiveness, right? And so when we are bringing people in, what we're trying to do is, and what we are doing is saying, that's not how everyone is. You can be different. You can move to a place where um, you can feel human again. You can feel love again. You can believe in yourself again. And you can believe that there's a future for you that isn't this. And that is what is transformational for people. And I think out of that comes that transformation from, you know, deeply tightly wound. I just got to think about myself, right. And protect myself to, I can be a giver. I can think about other people. Um, and even for folks who have life without possibility of parole, and we have them in our program or folks who have 20 more years to go, right. When, if you, if you were to ask them, why are you here? Right. You're never getting out. Right? What, what they say is yes, but, you know, I have a chance to impact other people who are getting out and to help them see there's something different for them. And so they can be of service even if they're inside. And, you know, many of them get out anyway, eventually, because laws change and happen. Um, but, you know, we had one guy who was in a you know, max security prison, life without possibility of parole. And some volunteers said, why are you doing this? He said, because well, I'm the barber. And every one of these guys is going to sit in my chair. And I have the opportunity to help them change what their life looks like. And that is, that's profound, right? And at Defy, you know, we believe that everybody is redeemable um, and that redemption is going to look different for different people, right? But if folks want that and they're ready for that, then we want to help them get there, right? And that's the real tragedy is when you have people inside who are looking for, looking to be different. They're ready to be different. And the prison system says to them, hey, tough, we got nothing for you, right? You're stuck. Be the way you are because we can't help you with that, right? And they don't allow programs in and allow enough programs in or, you know, or whatever, 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 right? Um, and, you know, there are states out there who are like, well, sorry, these guys are animals. They deserve nothing. We're not going to give them anything as if that's the answer, right? Um, and like I said, it is not the answer. Uh, in fact, it is the opposite of the answer, right? Um, it is, and it is, it is, in, uh, it is immoral, inhuman, and deeply expensive <laughs> to make that your, your choice on the approach. And like I said, you know, um, when we get to, to um, the business community, right? If you're not part of this idea of fair chance hiring, you are complicit in this recidivism that's happening because you are part of a system that says, sorry, when you come home, uh, no economic opportunity for you. 
right? Whether you're ready for it, qualify it or not, doesn't matter. Written you off, better for you to go back to prison. That's what you're doing. So what I always tell people in when we talk about facial tying is, look, be intellectually honest about what you say and what you do. Because if I ask people in a room who believes in second chances, almost every hand goes up, right? They're like, okay, well, would you hire somebody coming home from prison? Well, if it was, I guess if it was like a nonviolent offense. Okay, that's like almost nobody in the system, right? So, you know, uh, you know, so, all right, well, let's explore then what would it take for you to get to a place where you might hire somebody with a violent offense? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, would you hire somebody who committed a murder? Right? And then things start to get really hard there, which I get, right? Let's just be honest and, and for a second, like that's hard. That's deeply emotional. There's a lot of fear in there, which is totally natural, totally normal. And the other thing is like, we can, I can throw data at people all day long of like how like the chances of somebody recidivizing or causing a problem at work is like minimal. It's even less than it might be for just somebody who hadn't, didn't have a criminal history in many cases, right? Um, but still it's like, yeah, yeah, I hear all that. And I'm still freaked out by this. Again, totally normal, right? Um, and so that's where the human side comes in. It's like, well, the, how, here's how we move past this fear factor is let's have you meet some people, right? And then you can see who they might be. Let's, let's give you avenues to work with a partner like Defy, who's going to be able to say like, here's what they've done with us, prepare them for this opportunity, right? Because again, you know, again people coming home who've had zero programming, they're going to have a really hard time, right? That's where that government piece comes in. And they will have a hard time. Um, uh, they may have a very hard time being successful and being ready for opportunity. But for the ones who do come home and are ready and have done the work, we got to give them a chance. We have to. Yeah, we, we, absolutely. Like again, you're, you're, you you made the investment in terms of again providing them the resources and the know how you know, to develop that, that second chance. And when they come out, again, they have the, that, that, that skill set. Again, they, it wasn't idle time. They were proactive. They were seeking out. They were seeking out, how can I be a better person? The, you said there's an understanding of why that person is in prison. There's an understanding, but I also think there's an acceptance. And why I see, and why I think there's an acceptance is, again, going back to my, again, it's N equals one, speaking with Koss. Yeah. I didn't hear woe is me and, and F everything. And, you know, uh, why am I in this situation? I'm going to blame the system. I'm going to blame the, you know, he wasn't pointing fingers. He yes. was accept He accepted, he understood. Yes. And then from there, from that acceptance and understanding, he knew how to move past it and move yeah. forward from it and learn from it. And now he's on this path where yes, you have con body, you have con bud, and now you have second chance studios where similar to defy again, he's working with people who are coming out, providing them and uh, providing them those, those new media skills, for instance, yeah. and, and mentorship school uh, skills. And, yeah. and again, working with, you know, the, the Viacoms of the world to provide a, a talent pipeline to uh, to large organizations, which I think is true. Yeah. And Defy, he sits on our governing board. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, so I think that that accountability piece is really important, right? If you meet somebody who's come home from prison, I mean, look, there are people inside who are wrongfully accused and they spend time and like they really shouldn't have been there, right? That's a fairly small percentage of folks who are, who are inside, right? If someone comes out and they're like, ah, oh, the system and like, you know, yeah, whatever, I just... Right. I wouldn't hire that person. Right. Because they haven't done the work. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, though, the people who are most likely to be in this place of like the system and I was entrapped are white collar guys. Right. <laughs> right. None of them did it. None of them did it. Right. <laughs> I, I was entrapped. I didn't hurt anybody. You know, everybody was doing it. I just got caught. It's like, dude, you you manipulated the stock market. Okay? <laughs> right? It was illegal. You're still you still have a felony. No different than the guy who committed murder, but is far more likely to be like, yeah, I did something terrible when I was 19, right? And they probably have a whole story about how they got there. Mm -hmm. And it probably doesn't have a lot to do with sort of greed and market manipulation, right? Um, you know, and then you get these guys who are on the on the white collar side and like, ah, you know, and then just blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know why I got this. And like, you know, sure. and, and, you know, that I, it's like, I would, any day, I would take somebody who had committed a murder and served 20 years and did the work to get parole and came home is like, I'm ready to be different and of service. I would far rather hire that person than somebody who was like, a, you know, MBA from Harvard who, you know, went and manipulated the market and, you know, did some, you know, greedy things 
and, um, you know, hurt people in ways, different ways, still hurt people. Sure. Um, and comes home is like, ah, everybody was doing it. Right. It's like, I don't have time for you right now. You know, that's, you know, <laughs> you need, you need to go meet some people that I work with and you need to come down because you're not better than them. And that's, um, but yeah, it, it, people do the work and when they do the work and they come home, they need that opportunity. And, you know, that cost is a great example of somebody who did the work. He came home ready to be different, super motivated. Um, and you know, the other thing that we always tell people is like, look, the people we work with in prison are deeply entrepreneurial. And most of them had a business that they ran. It just happened to be in the illegal business. Right. But, you know, cost is a great example. I mean, how many millions was he turning over when he was like 19? Right. Two or three million. Yeah. yeah right. I mean, yeah. he was, he was grossing, you know, tons of revenue. Right. And, you know, as I say, you know, you may have uh, been working in a, in a difficult regulatory environment with questionable HR practices, but, you know, you had to still understand operations and budgeting and customer acquisition and marketing and, you know, management. Um, and those are all transferable skills. Given the opportunity, you can channel those things into legal careers and legal businesses that are net benefits to society not net harm. And that is, you know, so much of what we do. And that again is tied to this mindset change of who do I want to be? How do I want to use my unique gifts and talents for the benefit of society, not to the detriment. And that's what we do. Right. And, and, and it's, and it's incredible work. And Andrew, I just want to end uh, on this, this very important conversation with, what you started off with, which is that, that self-narrative, like what are the, the people who are on the inside telling themselves and how can we help them again, make sure that that track in their head is saying that they're a valuable member to society. They do mean something. They mean something to not just, you know, their immediate, you know, friends and family, but to, to lar the larger society. And, and, and as part of that growth from the self-narrative, it's how does the five ventures again, work with those those people on the, uh, the uh, that are currently incarcerated as well as when they come out uh so they sustain that that mindset that they are again valuable members uh, to society and could, can be of service uh whatever their their ambitions wherever their ambitions lead them to so in terms of the, the listeners and as well as myself yeah how can we how can we help how can we again you mentioned volunteer where can we go how can we contact really just what is that call to action yeah, I would love for you and your listeners to join this community, to join this movement. And it's easy. Um, you, there's lots of ways to do it. You can join us as a volunteer. Um, we run programming in California, Washington, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Illinois, Wisconsin. And we'll be launching in Pennsylvania and the Philly area um, in quarter one. Um, hopefully, I'll have some more spots to announce um, by uh, mid next year. Um, Find those volunteer opportunities on our website, www.defyventures.org. Um, uh, you can email me if you want to volunteer and I'll just I'll, uh, send, you know, send your email to the right place. Andrew at defyventures.org. Um, D-E-F-Y ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, defyventures.org. Um, if you on the website, you click the volunteer button. There may not be anything right. You know, sometimes, you know, we go on hiatus, things are in between, but just check back there. Um, you know, over the next few weeks or sign up for the mailing list is a great way to do that. So you can hear about upcoming events when they get scheduled. Um, if going into prison, you're not quite ready for that. We have our virtual volunteering for our boot camp, which you can really do from anywhere in the country. Um, again, those opportunities will appear on the website. That's uh, doing, you know, one-on-one, one-on-two -on -one, one -on coaching um, for entrepreneurs in training who are in our boot camp program uh, outside. And that's all virtual. Um, we are uh, always looking for mentors for our accelerator, um, if you have you know four or five hours to give every month to do one-on-one -on -one mentoring, uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, you need to come to one of our general open volunteer programs first, sort of see how we do our work, and then you know we have info sessions. Those get posted on the website. We'll have volunteer info sessions posted on the website as well. So that's that. Join us as a volunteer. Join us as a partner. Um, if you are an employer and you employ folks in any of those markets that I mentioned, you know California, Washington, Wisconsin, Illinois, New Jersey, uh, Connecticut, New York. Pennsylvania. Um, let us know that you're interested in hiring. Let us know if you'd like to learn more about Fair Chance Hiring. We can run a workshop for you. It's about 90 minutes. 
it's uh, deeply impactful. Um, we can run it anywhere from you know 15 to 50 people virtually or in person. Um, but if you'd like to partner with us, let us know. We'd love to tell you more about it and um, you know, know that you are somebody we can send folks to when they come home. And lastly, join us as a financial supporter. As we talked about, the government does not pay for this. Uh, we'd love for them one day too. We get a little bit um, in some places, but not much. Um, and, you know, for comparison, on average across the country, it's about eighty dollars to $100,000 per person per year to keep them incarcerated. You pay that cost whether you want to or not, right? That's just coming out of your tax money. Um, our program is about $1,500 for the in-prison work and about $3,500 for the post-release work for about five grand. Right? We can support somebody from start to finish, from inside to outside. And our return to prison rate, again, less than 10% at the one-year rate, less than 15, you know, versus 50 to 70%. Um, at, you know, we have 85% of our, 84% of our folks are employed, right? Compared to like low 70s for folks who don't go through the program. Um, it's like a 20x return on investment, right? Um, but just, right, you can support us that way um, and you can give... Uh, we welcome your contributions. At the end of the year, we are we 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 want to do more of what we're doing. More defy. We want more cost martes in the world. Uh, we want more um, of of our successful graduates. Um, you can give on the website again www.defyventures.org, uh, and you can hit that donate button. Um, but those are the things we need. We need volunteers. We need funding. We need partners. We need be- believers in what we're doing. We need people who want to. Even if you're not a believer yet, we want people with an open mind who want to learn more. Uh, and that's how we change this. Excellent. So, so Andrew, uh, what I'll do as I post this episode is in the call note, in the call notes, in the, in the uh, episode notes, I'll include the Divide Ventures uh, website address where you can find those resources to contribute, to partner, to volunteer w- with very clear instructions of how to do uh, either or all of those things that you listed um, to make again to to help make that uh, that change to help uh, to to uh, participate in the movement that you and Defy Ventures has embarked on, um, and you know, again I think this conversation is is incredible. Uh, I hope the listeners um, who are going to be again hearing and, and and understanding you know the current state of of incarceration in the United States and what where where are um where are the policymakers falling short where defy ventures is coming in and and, and providing an incredible incredible um a, a learning uh curriculum you know for those for those folks uh, who are currently incarcerated as well as when they come out um so there isn't again that that you know that that pipeline back to the prison system again they're 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 doing a incredible job and an incredibly proactive and incredible job of breaking that cycle um, so again, we, I thank you, Andrew, for your time, uh, this afternoon. Um, uh, and as I mentioned, I'll include, uh, the Defy Ventures, uh, website in the, in the episode notes and, uh, any questions, uh, please reach out to Andrew directly. Thank yeah. You. Thank you so much. I, um, I really appreciate you being willing to have this conversation. Uh, I think, you know, this is what we need to do. We got to talk about this more. Uh, and, um, I appreciate you having Koss on and having me on and, um, Thanks. And I'll hopefully I'll, I'll see you in prison with me sometime uh, in 2023. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Thank you.